Hello everyone, it's Sam here. I'm just recording this uh, after we recorded earlier, but I'm going to append it to the beginning of the, the podcast. Um, just a couple of apologies for the sound quality on this episode. First of all, uh, Santi's microphone sounds okay most of the time, but absolutely horrific um, on a couple of occasions, so sorry about that. And secondly, we apologise, all of us, uh, for the numerous screaming children who can be heard apparently in Tony's front room. Um, He swears blind to us that they're not actually in his flat, but it certainly sounds like they are. There's not an awful lot we can do about it, though. Enjoy the podcast. Trying to remember how to do this. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome, one and all, to Hand of Pod, episode 387. Uh, I almost just started to uh, talk without having pressed the record button, which would have been highly annoying for everybody concerned if I hadn't noticed it uh, on time. Um, I'm Sam Kelly, and joining me this week are Andres. Hello, Sam. Tony. Hello. And Santi. Hi, guys. English Dan, unfortunately, can't make it uh, this week. He's not in Buenos Aires, apparently. I'm yep, stunned. he's on San Pedro. That, didn't realise that travel was actually allowed. I, I did, but just pretending. Um, anyway, we're <laughs> going back to on-pitch matters this week. Thank you very much, everybody, for your, your kind comments on last week's um, episode. I've just realised that I haven't yet tweeted out a request for questions so i better do that quickly um but we are going back to on pitch matters this week i hope that people enjoyed last week's episode or at least found it cathartic to listen to um it was an interesting one to record i will go through first of all the results that we've had since we last recorded now patreon supporters of course did get a, a inverted commas normal episode last week where we went over uh me and Tony and Santi, I think it was, if I remember rightly, went over um, what had happened in the fo- on the football pitch last weekend and the weekend before in the Libertadores and Sudamericana and, and uh, Copa de la Liga. Um, Copa Diego Maradona, sorry, I should say. Uh, so this week, we're just going to pick it up as if everybody's heard that because there's no point in going over two weeks of action. So last week's results in the Copa Diego Armando Maradona were... Racing 1, Union 0, Vélez-Sarsfield 0, Gimnasia 1, Colón 1, Independiente 2, Godoy Cruz 0, Banfield 0, Rosario Central 0, River 2, Defensa y Justicia 2, Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero 3, Boca Juniors 2, Newell's Old Boys 0, Huracán 1, Patronato 0, Lanús 1, Tacheres 0, Aldo Civi 1, Argentinos Juniors 4, Atlético Tucumán 3, Arsenal de Sarandí 2, and Estudiantes 0, San Lorenzo 0. Um, there have, of course, been Libertadores second legs and one Libertadores first leg played since then, and there have also been Sudamericana. 
excuse my neighbor on the motorbike. He's a wanker. Uh, there have also been Sudamericana uh, matches, um, ties decided, second legs played since we last recorded. So we'll go over those in a little while. But first of all, gents, does anybody want to chip in with, with their thoughts on matches that particularly stood out over the weekend? Yeah, if I if I may start, um, I think it would be fair to say that Independiente are probably beginning to find their feet for the first time all year, perhaps under under Pusineri. I think uh, the the win on the first leg against Phoenix was a good starting point in in the sense that um, even if it was uh, as I said in the in the extra. A really, 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 really bad rival, a really weak rival. Um, they still um, managed to, to to instill a lot of confidence. I think Pusineri is trusting in the youth, in players like uh, Gonzalez and Barco and Chaco Martin Barco, sorry, uh, Velasco and Chaco Martinez. Is finally uh, is finally paying off. I think. Um, well, for example, Luca Gonzalez seems like a seems like a, sh- a showing starter at this point, alongside uh, Luca Romero, who has uh, come leaps and bounds. I think since uh, since the early games after after quarantine, and that has been proven with a uh, well, as you said, a two 0 win against one of the most informed teams in. In Argentine football, as is Colón, which was uh, really um, not exactly a game independiente dominated, but a game independiente I think had under control regardless. Uh, Barbosa and Franco are forming a really strong uh, central defense partnership. Milton Alvarez is uh, doing a fantastic work uh, in well coming well coming to to aid uh, Sebastián Sosa now that he's injured. Um, and another goalkeeper, I think, in the in the vein of uh, of Independiente's great great eye for for decent or class goalkeepers, and uh, Alan Velasco scored what was I think one of the best goals I've seen in a long long time with a, in an Independiente shirt. I think with a with a turn and a back heel that li- really left his marker. Uh, just it it banished him to be honest and then he he ran all the way from from his half i think to to the box and uh well made a um, finished fantastically i think to put in the paint the 2-0 and they also validated their one their 4-1 um first leg win in uruguay back in the libertadores de america against phoenix uh, i i know this is american football and probably we will talk about it later but it just uh, solidified, I think, uh, the not just the the trust. I think that Pusineri has um, has put in the in their in his very short and very uh, mega squad um, finally coming to fruition. But also how they are finally understanding each other on the field. Something that I had uh, remarked in the past that it was something that it was uh, severely lacking. But this time, I think. Uh, they really proved it, and the the only goal of the game, uh, Silvio Silvio Romero Stunner, I think was was one of the was one of the nicest goals I think I have seen in Independiente in a long time, completing a twenty four pass sequence, which is really a sight to behold after just uh, watching Independiente um, just uh, chop the ball uh, up and down the field against the Central Colo only a week and a half ago, which is uh, an incredible. incredible 
Yeah, something just appears to have been cut off there. Um, but yeah, a good week for Independiente, all told, uh, through to the Sudamericana second round, as he says. And that win over Colón uh, means that the standings in their group of the Copa are, well, Independiente second and indeed through, along with Colón. Uh, Colón have 10 points and Independiente nine. Central Cordoba have five and Defensa Justicia have two with one match left to go. So congratulations, Santi, hopefully you've not just been cut out of the call altogether and can still hear us. Um, we don't, of course, have English Dan here to talk about racing this week, but we do have Tony here. and Presumably he can give us some sorts of thoughts about racing's 1-0 win over Union, um, at least, which from the very little I caught of it seemed to be rather against the run of play, but I did catch really very little of it, so I'm going to let Tony take over. Well, I suppose that depends on the part of the game you were watching. <laughs> Um, because it was an open game, I think. Um, we saw kind of the same idea from, from Union uh, of playing the players that were not supposed to, to be uh, involved against Bahia. That it's, it will be the game uh, in the midweek. So we saw again Valencia uh, on goal. Uh, we saw a lot of Senon. We saw a lot of Xerometa. Uh, and all the kids uh, with some some of the most experienced uh, uh, players, but only a handful. Um, I think I think Union played basically well. Had a couple of chances. Um, were good enough to to maybe score, but Racing uh, that also had apparently quite a. a not a, a strong setup or a strong eleven to start the game, uh, or the more uh, usual formation you you will think. Also, I guess thinking about Flamengo and, and going to play in the Maracana uh, and with this competition basically out for them. But they got a lot of, of chances also from counter attacks. Um, they play really well on the on the on the wide areas. So maybe a one one will be. Uh, a more um, fair reflection of the game, but I, I wouldn't argue that Racing uh, made enough chances and, and and were good enough to win the game. To be honest, um, I still think it's a good idea for Union to play the the kids for now um, because we have one more, one more game, right? And and yeah, there the, is a good layout. Of a squad for the next uh, for the next season, and I see the same for Racing. There are a couple of young players that are really really good, and they showed me that with with uh, opportunities they they could uh, fight for a spot. And I think Racing needed uh, thinking they're still in, in in the in the possibilities to progress in the Libertadores. Surely we're gonna talk about this later. Uh, yeah, I think it was a a game. A wide wide open game that maybe a one one will be will be fair, but I I wouldn't argue against the, the Racing win on this one. Yeah, it didn't in all practical terms make a lot of difference anyway. Really, the way the result went um, from Union's point of view. I mean, Racing, as Tony mentioned, were already out of this uh, cup even before the game kicked off. Um, and as it happened, Atletico Tucumán's three two win over Arsenal later in the the weekend on Monday evening um, means that Atletico Tucumán have, have sealed um, 
top spot in Group 1 with a game still to play. They, they've got 15 points, maximum points from five matches. Union have seven. Um, Arsenal have four and Racing have three. So Racing are definitely out. Arsenal could scrape past Union still. Um, Arsenal have a goal difference of minus one and Union's is zero. Um, so that three-point gap uh, is very much breachable for Arsenal if they... I'm a, do they do they play each other on the in the final round of matches actually? Let me just check this. Yeah, Racing uh, play against Arsenal, and I think we play. Racing play Arsenal. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, obviously they, it could have been a little bit more exciting if Union were playing Arsenal in that yeah in that last game. Um, but uh, yeah, by and large, I mean Union seem fairly certain to finish uh, second. I mean, they're at home. Too. Yeah, and also probably they're going to go, I mean, playing at home against the Ligue they're going to go with the full strength being out of the Copa Sudamericana and trying not to finish the season this weekend. Indeed, yeah, exactly. Um, so they should be able to get at least the point that they need to completely secure it. Um, that match itself, actually, Atletico Tucumán Arsenal was one that I did catch a bit of and it was a decent one right up until the very end, uh, really. The last 13 minutes were the period of the game to catch um, because Lucas Albertengo put Arsenal 1-0 up away about an hour in. And then in the last in, in those last 13 minutes, Matias Alustiza equalised with a penalty. Lucas Nekul gave Arsenal a 2-1 lead in the 89th minute. And then um, Atletico Tucumán scored twice in stoppage time to maintain their perfect start to the season Marcelo Ortiz and Alustiza getting a second one um, it was a very very impressive performance indeed from uh, Alustiza um, who came off the bench I think I'm right in saying I, I, as I say I caught the, the end of the game but I think he'd been brought on yeah came off came on with about a quarter of an hour to play um, and scored twice and I think if I remember right, it played a part in the second goal, but I might be imagining that. Um, so unexpectedly, turned out to be one of the better games of the weekend. Um, Andres, you're here as well. I'm just going through who, who's played and who we've, which supporters we have present here. Uh, River got a 2-0 win away to Rosario Central, which was, well, Andres, tell us about it. Well, yes, um, they, yes, they defeated Rosario Central, and by that by that win, they they made sure they they are in the Copa Campeonato. Um, uh, but uh, as I have been saying, and, and I think you agree, uh, uh, the commentary will be will be quite similar to, to I made to the one I made uh, for the past matches, in which in which River is is. Uh, uh, winning but not convincing uh, through the way of playing. Uh, they are they have at least uh, well not against Central but against uh, Paranaense for Copa Libertadores a lot of chances, and not being able of making them or, or, or translating that chances into goals, and by that they they are risking that any any loose loose ball or or, or any chance that the rival may have could. And in goal because they are not defending so so well at this time. In fact, River is not a team I think prepared to defend. Uh, it's, they are all the time. Well, it's not uh, that because I say this, but they, they, they have their natural approaches offensive, which of course may may uh, make that the team is not well balanced 
And by that, of course, any chance the rival may have uh, could put in, in, in conceding a goal, and, and, and they are playing like that, or scoring a lot of goals with uh, via the, 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 the centre backs uh, on, on uh, corner kicks or free kicks, which is not what we are used to to see. Uh, but well, it's like they are playing right now, and they, of course, we have to see whether this is something we should get used to or it's a coincidence something that is the moment the team is which is right now uh, against Russell Central again uh, uh, Bologna uh, kept the, a clean sheet uh, got a clean sheet and, and making almost miraculous miraculous saves uh, which of course is uh, something good of course because if our money is not there Bologna is doing things okay uh, because I, as I said, River is having or the rivals having quite uh, 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 several chances, or at least they are having chances more than they used to have in the past. And of course, if if, if that happens, you have to have the goal kept uh, similarly to to, to Armani's, and, and Bologna is doing that. So uh, it's a strange moment of the team not being so solid, not overpowering that much the rivals. Uh, and uh, uh, which which makes things complicated even when, when the rivals are not uh, strong enough uh, against Paranaense. I know that we will, we will talk about Copa Libertadores perhaps later, but they have 23 shots in goal, only nine uh, effective or at least uh, that were uh, uh, straight on goal and scored only one and by a rebound from a penalty. Uh, of course, that talks a lot of, about how River is, uh, in fact, a, a term a talking about the accuracy uh, on the chances they are they are having. Yeah, in fact, their second um, goal against Central came it, it, very impressive. It, it wasn't particularly funny as own goals go, um, and it wasn't spectacular, but it was one of the most high quality own goals I've ever seen from Damian Martinez, who. Uh, started from quite deep, absolutely raced to the far post to beat his man, who I think I'm right in saying was Federico Girotti. Um, beat him oh, all ends Suculini. up in the air. Well done, thank you. Yeah, um, Beat him all ends up in the air. There was just absolutely no chance. And planted a beautiful header from a very narrow angle up into the opposite corner of the net past his own goalkeeper. Um, I mean, if an attacking player had, had managed a header from a free kick like that, it would have been one of the, the goals of the weekend. Um, but unfortunately for Damian Martinez, it put his yes. team 2-0 down. Uh, but the first goal, as, as you said, Andres, was scored by Robert Rojas from a header from a corner or free kick, one of the two. Um, and it, I get, it wasn't his first goal in recent weeks, was it? Didn't he score one a couple of weeks ago? Yes, he scored against Banfield. Mm. The second goal for, for Banfield, against Banfield uh, was, yes, from a corner kick. I think it was, I don't know if it was the or what. I don't remember the one who, who took the, the, the current kick. But, but yes, uh, it's something reverse. It's one of the weapons, similarly to, for example, when, when Pisculici was in the squad, that he they took the free kicks and corner kicks uh, magnificently. And, and uh, either Fulis Mori or Petzela or, well, uh, uh, strikers uh, were half of the goal was, you knew, you knew that by uh, when River had a free kick or a corner kick in, in favor, uh, it was half of the goal. You have 50% of the goal because Pisculici was, was there and 
uh, well now it's like a, a like a streak a strike that they have, they are having with the center backs uh, especially rojas and, and well uh, uh, they are winning by that by, by with that with that weapon but well uh, we will have to see whether it's something uh, that well of course it's good to take advantage of the good heading uh, or the, the, the center backs that have a good header but uh, it's not something that if you don't take that as something stable well you are depending on something that you perhaps never have uh, not you don't have always uh, you, you don't uh, always have and and and, and well uh, things could get complicated if uh, in the future you don't score uh, by by that way yeah indeed it's it's a little bit ironic given that before the pandemic began, we were talking about how River were really having a lot of difficulty defending set pieces, and now they, it's the only way they can score. Um, but yes, Armani, anyway. in fact, Armani, in fact, after the, 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 the uh, second leg Copa Tadores against Paranaense, uh, I don't know whether it was a self-criticism or uh, it was a critic for the strikers. He said that uh, well, if you don't if you don't score, the chances we have uh, things can be hard in the future. Yeah, and it's like that. Yeah, the the other game in that uh, group was a, a rather dull nil nil draw in Mendoza between Godoy Cruz and Banfield, which means that River and Banfield are assured of the top two spots in Group Three. River have twelve points, Banfield have ten, Rosario Central six, and Godoy Cruz one. Um, thanks to that nil-nil draw with one game to go. Um, so in the last game, it's going to be River again at home to Godoy Cruz, I think, isn't it? And Banfield, yeah, Banfield against Rosario Central. Um, so really not an awful lot to play there, to play for there. Um, in Group 4, which is Boca Juniors group, Boca got a very comfortable 2-0 win at home to Newell's old boys. Both of the uh, goals came from Edwin Cardona. Both of them came in the opening 20 minutes of the match. Um, and after that, there, there wasn't a hell of a lot more to report, really. Boca could have won it by much, much more. Um, they, of course, had, had had the week off. Their match um, in the Libertadores was, was postponed away to Internacional and was actually played uh, just a couple of days ago. So they hadn't played Libertadores act, um, in midweek, although they had... I think it's fair to say for everybody in the club had had a particularly emotional week, I'm sure. Um, but they just, it was completely dominant. I mean, Newell's barely got a look in. I think they have, yeah, one shot on target um, for Newell's all game. Um, Boca thoroughly deserved winners there. And that leaves them, uh, let me just check the standings once this loads properly, top of group four. But bizarrely, still not absolutely guaranteed a spot in the next round yet. Um, because Tacheres got a... Well, so, sorry, Lanús got a 1-0 win at home to Tacheres, which means that there are now three points, three um, teams in Group 4, separated by only two points. Boca have nine points, Tacheres have eight, and Lanús have seven, um, with one game to go. Newells are out of it with four points. Um, but... Uh, Lanús, for a very long time in that game, looked like they were heading out because it looked like it was going to be nil-nil. The whole way, Tacheres looked fairly comfortable, were threatening on the counter-attack. Um, a, a, a fair amount. Francis McAllister had a, a particularly good game for his 
new well newish club he, he joined them from Argentinos fairly recently um, and then in stoppage time Nicolas Orsini who I think was the goal scorer when Lanús beat beat Boca did they the week before trying to go back yes beat, beat Boca 2-1 yeah, that, um, was, uh, that was uh, Russo's first ever defeat back at Boca. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, and no, it wasn't because they lost one already. They, they've lost two in the group now. Um, nine, two. Nine. Ah, yeah, yeah, because Tajeres came first, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, I, I had them all both screw up the order of them. Yeah, uh, but Nicolas Orsini scored twice, uh, both set up by Pedro de la Vega in a 2 1 win for Lanus the, the previous week away to Boca. Um, and then scored again, as I say, in stoppage time at home to Tacheres to set up, well, to keep Lanus in the copper initially. And they were down to 10 men by that point as well, because Alexandro Bernabe had been sent off uh, about five minutes before Rossini scored. Um, so it keeps Lanus in the cup and it sets up probably the most dramatic finish of any of the groups. Um, although maybe when I'm going down the standings of the other ones, we'll discover that there's another one to come. Uh, this weekend at half past nine, on Sunday night, Tacheres host Boca and Lanús visit Newells. So Tacheres and Boca, I'm just wondering whether they can screw Lanús over by if, if they were to just deliberately draw between them. No, I don't, I then, don't no, think No, that so. wouldn't be enough, would it? Because if Lanús beat Newells, then they'd still def- they'd definitely finish ahead of Tacheres if Tacheres don't win. Exactly, um, so it's basically a case of uh, whoever wins uh, gets the prize, basically. Yeah, if, if Lanús beat Newells, then they finish on 10 points, and it's impossible for both Tacheres and Boca to finish on 10. So that, that means that, yeah, if Boca Tacheres is a draw and Lanús beat Newells, um, then Boca and Lanús will be going through. Um, if and, and then if it's not a draw, then whoever wins out of Boca and Tacheres will go through along with Lanús, obviously, assuming that Lanús do beat Newells. If Boca beat Tacheres and Lanús draw with Newells, then it will go down to how big the margin of victory is for Boca over Tacheres because uh, Tacheres and Lanús would then be level on points. But that's the group to look out for if you're into drama. If you're in the UK, then apologies because those games are going to be played at kicking off at half past midnight on Monday morning for you. Um, but, you know, we don't control that, unfortunately. I wish we did. Um, Possibly the most surprising five-goal thriller of the weekend. Defensa y Justicia versus Central Cordoba de Santiago del Estero. Uh, did any of you happen to be in and watching this match? I'm sure you were all riveted before the event, no? No. There's oh, your yes, I was, I was absolutely <laughs> thinking all day, I it, should watch this. Yeah, um, it does appear to have actually been quite dramatic, though. Um, Pablo Arganyaras, which is probably one of my most favouriteist surnames uh, in the league, now that I've just come across it for the first time, scored the opener 10 minutes in for Central Cordoba. Claudio Riaño scored the second, set up by Arganyaras. Um, and after 22 minutes, uh, Miguel Merentiel pulled one back with about 15 minutes to go before half-time. Um, and then Franco Paredes in the 82nd minute made it 2-2 only for Santiago Rosales to score what turned out to be the winner in the 91st minute. That is Central Cordoba's first win. And it means that Defensa Justicia still haven't won 
in spite of the fact that, as we will hear a bit later, um, they are... Oh, I started that sentence. And I'm not sure how it ends, actually. I think that they're still in the Sudamericana, but we'll discover whether I'm correct or not after the break. Um, um, well, yeah. I mean, I have the answer, but if you want people to just uh, leave them guessing until... Let's, until let's, break. let's keep the tension. I, I genuinely can't remember either because I just realised I've completely forgotten what the I'm, I'm just going to say was. something funny. I'm playing Football Manager 2021 and I Argaranyas popped up on my, on my Twitter account like a tweet about the goal hmm. and he was on, on, on the available players. So I, I bought him and now I, I won the Libertadores with Union. So <laughs> just because he, he appeared on my Twitter account, I just bought him. If you've got Football Manager 2021, then it would appear that he's a good player to buy. There you go. You heard <laughs> it here first. Um, so in Group 2, Colón and Independiente are already through um, anyway as a result of uh, oh, I didn't talk about that. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that game. Of course we did. Santi mentioned it. Um, so that they're already through. Colón have 10 points independent. They have nine. Central Cordoba, five. Defensive Justicia, two. That's possibly the second time I've gone down the standings of that group. Um, so not an awful lot going on, but that still appears to have been quite a thriller. Um, elsewhere, the other main news is in Group 6 where Huracan got a 1-0 win over Patronato. Um, but that's not really the main news in Group 6 at all. It does mean that Huracan are top of Group 6, 10 points. Gimnasia and Belles both have eight. Patronato have one. Gimnasia and Belles, of course, played each other in that last um, round of games. Um, and Gimnasia got a 1-0 win, which similarly turned it to Lanusa's 1-0 win over Tacheres, keeps them in the cup keeps it interesting going into the last uh, round of games. And of course, it was a very emotional one because it was Gimnasia's first match after uh, their manager, Diego Maradona, died last week. Um, so I'm not sure, really, that I would have wanted to be a footballer playing against Gimnasia at the weekend because if nothing else, they were highly motivated. They weren't awfully good, but they were clearly driven to get the result. Um, yes, probably that's a, the that's a rather fitting, I think, uh, way to remember Maradona's gimnasia. Exactly. Yeah. Good, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Undoubtedly passionate, I, I guess. Indeed. Um, probably the and biggest. Then, Go on, Andres. So, yes. Now, uh, it's the only colorful thing that uh, the, 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 the one who scored the, the, only the winning goal is Maximilian Coronel, who, of course, is not, in, not that identified with River, but he started playing there and he, of course, played some matches in first division. And well, of course, he uh, uh, scored for a, for a team in which the, the, the coach until uh, some time ago was Maradona, of course, it's Boca Maradona. And, and of Maximiliano Coronel started playing at River, which is the only colorful thing, not uh, something that uh, I think he, he now has nothing to do with River or, or he may not be identified with the club because. He played only a, a bunch of matches, but uh, it was something perhaps uh, remarkable for, for the uh, statistics, at least. Yes, thank you for shoehorning River into that one, Andres. Uh, <laughs> um, sad, sadder news, but probably more important, is comes off the pitch um, with the revelation uh, in the press today uh, that various Beles players um, have been accused of sexual assault at a party. Um, I mean, 
first of all, obviously that that's horrific. Secondly, a party in the middle of a pandemic, which is completely against regulations as it is. Um, but uh, the players in question are Ricky Centurion, Tiago Almada, Juan Martin Lucero, and Miguel Brizuela. Um, they Belis have already announced that they're not going to be taking those players to Paraná, uh, where they visit Patronato this weekend. Um, so it, it, on on the pitch, it, it could very well cost Belis in in the hope of qualifying. Um, but more importantly, it's not the first time that we've had um, scandals of of this nature and, and news of footballers misbehaving. And it's unfortunately not the first time that Ricky Centurion has been caught up in this kind of story. That he's been accused in the past of um, violence towards, uh, I think, ex girlfriends. Um, anyway. I think they haven't been accused so far. Uh, they have been. They will have to declare as witnesses. Uh, the house was rented by Lucero, I think, um, and the, the, those players, Brizuela, uh, Lucero, uh, Almada, and uh, Centurion, were at the party and uh, didn't apparently, apparently didn't take part of the rape um, or, or the, the, the the apparently the, the, the girl that was raped was accused. A, a, a man called uh, with surname Acuna, who is related to football also, but uh, well, so far, so far the players haven't don't have charges. Uh, the the lawyer of the of the of the girl said that this is the the, the, the fact that the players were uh, will have to declare as witnesses is made for them to to be clean, which is to, uh, shouldn't be done. But, uh, well, that is what I read. Thank you, Andres. Right. That's uh, a very also, important clarification to right. what I've read. It's also important, I think, to to to, to mention that uh, the it's a it's an important distinction. The fact that they uh, have been declared to well, they have been called to declare as witnesses instead of being outright sued. Because in the case that they were sued, um, that would mean the end of uh, Ricky Centurion as a Vélez player because of a clause. Uh, in his contract once he signed it that because of his um, shady past um, in, in as regards to his treatment of uh, his sex girlfriends uh, his contract would be automatically cancelled if he had um, if well if any woman ever uh, sued him for for violence against her ever again yes yeah yeah thank you Santi um I apologize in that case to the players in question for what I said earlier. I actually read a very early headline um, and a very early version of the story that came out earlier today. I had not um, read this more detailed version, where it, which makes much clearer, which I'm now looking at, that, yeah, they haven't been accused. So thank you for the correction, Andres and Santi. Um, anyway, let's continue on that vein. Please, nobody sue us. Uh, <laughs> we can't afford the lawsuits. Um, any other results to, to oh Argentinos versus Aldo Sibi probably uh, stands out a four one when did anybody catch it I didn't no no to be honest I didn't. no <laughs> super well, uh, apparently, to, apparently from what I read from a couple of friends it was barely a classic I'd say yeah I mean it was it was certainly very one sided Argentinos were two 0 up before the break and. I mean, Aldo Sibi are no great shakes, are they? It, it seems to have just been uh, largely keeping them at arm's length. Um, 
it does, interestingly, Aldo Civi went into the game, of course, four, three points better off than Argentinos, which means that those two teams are now tied on seven points each in second and third. San Lorenzo are guaranteed top spot. Uh, Aldo Civi could have caught them with a win, but definitely can't now that they've lost. And Estudiantes are out. So it's basically between Argentinos and Aldo Civi on the last weekend of that one. And in that group, the matches are San Lorenzo at home to Aldo Civi and Argentinos at home to the already eliminated Estudiantes de la Plata. Um, I think that we are now going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about the Copa Sudamericana and the Copa Libertadores. And uh, we'll answer some listeners' questions. So don't go away. Okay, welcome back. Um, before we begin with the continental stuff, uh, I wonder whether I could just rope you in, Tony, to fill us in on what's happened in the women's championship uh, since we last recorded. Yes, of course. Um, the championship—I uh, don't know—I don't remember the official name, uh, but basically, it's it's the same after after the men's. You know, it's a, a, like a transition tournament uh, between seasons. Um, it started this weekend uh, with some interesting results. Um, Boca won, as expected, against excursionistas and sat uh, draw against Huracan. Uh, three goals apiece in the Group A. In the Group B, Guayurquiza won 5-2 against Platense, but uh, if you remember what I said last week, um, Guay might have a little bit of a tough time uh, being as dominant as they used to be and they were 3-2 up to the final minutes, uh, winning against Potense, but then they kill off the game with a 5-2. That, so I, I think the result was a little bit more uh, uh, flatter to, to why. Uh, Central, Rosario Central won 5-1 against the Festival in, in the Group B. In the Group C, Independiente won 3-0 against El Porvenir. In the Group D, River uh, Trash, Lenus 6-0. And Racing did the same against Vicha San Carlos, 3-0. Um, there is one game pending, which basically and sadly what uh, catch the headlines uh, on this matter, which is the game against San Lorenzo and Estudiantes that couldn't be played because it was supposed to be um, the second game in a, something that the AFA kind of invented of giving games on a Monday night uh, in a neutral ground. So San Lorenzo against Estudiantes, and I'm forgetting the other game, um, Sata against Huracan, were playing in the Ferro Stadium. But that second game, um, the San Lorenzo game, couldn't be played because the lights went out, and nobody knew why. And Ferro had apparently nothing to do with it, or they didn't take charge of why they, the, light, the lights went out. Uh, the games, the, the players were really, almost ready to to play because the games were basically back to back, so they were waiting on the pitch side, and the game was suspended. 
and there's no official answer as of now of why those game uh, that game couldn't be played and when it's going to be played uh which is another part of a long list of uh of files um not being really really good uh managing the the women's side that we can track back if you allow me some to quickly say the games for this week that you're going to see some interesting stuff on the decisions uh on saturday we have two games i at 5 uh p.m excursionista sansat and rosario central against guayurquiza on sunday we have one game at 9 a.m huracán against gimnasia de la plata one at 5 p.m el porvenir estudiantes on monday we have another game at 9 a.m Villa San Carlos Lanús, and at 5 p.m., Defensor de Verano Patense. And on Tuesday, another game at 9 a.m., and this one is Racing River. On, at 5 p.m., we have Independiente San Lorenzo. So, I mean, we have Racing River, two of the biggest teams with the, probably the biggest followings on, on the women's side, with the strongest, one of the strongest sides uh, on the women's um, league, played at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah, that, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? Especially from from the point of view of the players, actually. How, where have you ever seen a men's, a men's open match being played at 9, 10 a.m. local time? It is uh, something I never heard or seen in my life. Yeah, it's... Um obviously ridiculous and how the AFA think that that's going to help to build an audience for women's football. I'm at a loss to understand it, it. Tony, is there a logic that they have suggested for this double header in a single stadium business that obviously went shit shaped this, this last week, but have they suggested why that is long-term? Uh, supposedly it's about um, making it easier for the TV to have everything in one place. Oh, right, because it's just one channel broadcasting, TNT broadcasting yeah. a load of matches, so they don't need yeah, to Yeah, and it's just around. a couple of cameras. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and it's the same for the 9 a.m. slot. Um, technically, it's not just... They're trying to avoid to overlap uh, games from the men's uh, leagues or the men's competitions. Uh, you could also do that by not But it has to be at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah, you could also do that by not programming men's games to start at like midday and carry on until 11 o'clock at night couldn't you you know just bunch a few of them up and have them played at the same time occasionally so yeah, the women can play uh, at a more sensible this, time yeah so i was discussing with andy with andres before sorry it was just, just read andy on the on the on the skype um well, i was discussing with andres before um even if, uh, you as a as a audience or or, or someone that watch games you, you have the ability to pick what you want to watch. I mean, there's no necess- there's not really necessary for those games to be on TV. You can put it on, on digital platforms and the people that are really interested to, to watch them will go and watch them. Just, yeah, not only that, it's, uh, it's also the fact that um, this is in fact the final match day of uh, at least the first group stage of yep. this uh, Copa de la Liga Profesional de Football. So it would make the most sense for all matches of a single group to be held at the same time, you know, to avoid any speculation and stuff. So even even if uh, you, I mean, there is really not no no justification at all 
to not hold games at the same time because it doesn't make sense from a from a competitive point of view, you know. Yeah, I guess it's, and there are many gaps to the what they call the logic of why the decisions are being made, and that translates from the men's, and now it's it, it drags into the the women's. I mean, playing a game at 9, 9 a.m., no one is going to wake. I mean, obviously, people that are going to be interested are going to wake up and going to watch them. But why don't offer I – mean, if you have the ability to just duplicate one channel, if you can make a channel to to show a Barcelona game, why you cannot just – it's a couple of, of buttons, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. But the problem, absolutely. I think, is that there will also won't be any any – social media actions or something. I mean, you you schedule the match at 9 a.m. and then make, make it play and, and this is it. And, and, and you don't, uh, it's like they don't want people to watch female soccer, uh, football. Uh, yeah. I, I understand that perhaps if, you, if they schedule a match of female uh, first division uh, at 7 p.m. and there's uh, Copa Libertadores or Sudamericana matches at the same time, it will be a gap or, uh, I mean, there will be uh, uh, two matches at the same time and, of, and, and you suppose that they, they will choose the, 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 the Sudamericana Libertadores match at 9 a.m. and you don't even announce it. Well, uh, it's obvious that people, uh, uh, then, then, then they say, yes, well, but, but women don't... Uh, have a, a, any audience or they don't uh, have a, a people watching and, and what do you want if you uh, schedule them at nine and then you don't say hey hey watch this game it will be river against racing 9 a.m at least that uh, no they don't do it yeah and it doesn't help the, the quality of the product either i mean it, it's one thing to get up at 9 a.m here to, if you want to watch a La Liga or a Premier League or a Bundesliga game or something where obviously the players have already been up and out of bed for several hours, they've had their breakfasts, they've, they've allowed their bodies to do the digestion that all of these elite sports people have to you know, pay close attention to their diets and, and how far in advance of matches they have to eat and everything. Uh, it's quite another to watch a match at 9am your time, which is also being played at 9am by the players themselves, where, I mean, what, do they get out of bed at five o'clock so they can have pasta for breakfast? Like I'm told, you know, like I was told years and years and years ago when I did the tour of Old Trafford was what Man United players uh, always had to do. You know, they have to eat X hours before the game. Um, I very much doubt it. You know, you're going to end yeah, up if affecting... The professionals. The, exactly, yeah. So, so you're going to end up adversely affecting the quality of the product by putting it on at that time in the morning because it just... I, I don't want to say it's completely impossible, but it's it's far more likely that you're going to have worse football played at nine in the morning than you are if you say, yeah, you know what, kick off at half past twelve or <laughs> three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. Um, Women yeah. will will wake up at six a.m. because they have to have uh, breakfast, and that I think you said that. But uh, yes, it's really complicated in every aspect. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, expecting that to be the case is is ridiculous. Um, Anyway, we shall move on. The back to the men's game, uh, the Copa Libertadores. I'll go through the results from both sets of both the first legs and the second legs uh, for the benefit of people who obviously who aren't patrons and therefore didn't get our uh, incisive analysis of the first legs. Um, and also partly because I'll, I'll be forgetting what the first leg results were and won't be able to tell you who's gone through if I don't do this. Um, so 
non-Argentine fixture, Liga de Quito, one Santos two in the first leg. That ended up being uh, 1-0 to Liga de Quito in the second leg. So two away wins in that tie, but it does mean that Santos went through on away goals after a 2-2 aggregate draw. Atletico Paranaense won River Plate one in the first leg in Brazil. Uh, that The second leg was played on uh, Tuesday, I think it was, in Abeshaneda and finished 1-0 to River. Andres mentioned it earlier, so River go through 2-1 on aggregate. Racing drew 1-1 with Flamengo, both in Abeshaneda and in a thriller, which we'll talk about in a minute, in the Maracanã before going through on penalties. So the holders of the Copa Libertadores are out at the last 16 stage. Independiente del Valle of Ecuador played Nacional of Uruguay. Those matches finished 0-0 in Ecuador and 0-0 in Montevideo before Nacional won the shootout. And therefore we have in the quarterfinal, almost at the last 16, but in the quarterfinal stage, it's going to be River against Nacional, Marcelo Gachardo's current club against Marcelo Gachardo's only former club as a manager. Yeah, um, I, should, I should also add that uh, this is, in fact, the first time uh, a Uruguayan club has ever made it through uh, the quarterfinals of a Copa Libertadores since Nacional themselves managed that back in 2014. Yes, yeah, so I was trying uh, to remember yeah. when, they, when they'd done it, yeah. Because Peñarol only got to the last 16 a few years ago, didn't they? Exactly. So yeah. I, I can't remember, in fact, if uh, Gallardo was uh, national manager back then, in fact. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, no, 2014, he, he, take, he took over at River in the middle of the... Yeah. Right, oh, yeah, so he would have been, wouldn't he? Yeah, because he, yeah, he joined River from Nacional in the middle of 2014, so he'd have been in charge for that Libertadores campaign. Exactly. So yeah. it's, uh, it's yeah. a well circle, remembered. you know. He's always involved when they're in the quarterfinals in this decade. Um, Delphine lost 3-1 at home to Palmeiras and then lost 5-0 away to Palmeiras. So are very much out. Um, I'm now going to just raise a fist in the air, even though nobody can see it, because I was told that I was being a bit nasty for suggesting that Delphine were possibly the worst side I'd ever seen in the last 16 of the Libertadores. But there we go. Lost 8-1 on aggregate, so I must have been right. Um, Libertad beat Jorge Wilstermann 3-1 in Asuncion and then, very creditably, uh, beat them 2-0 away as well. Although, having said that, that match was not played in Cochabamba, was it? Oh, it was played in Cochabamba. So a really creditable win that, because uh, given the altitude that it was at. Internacional versus Boca Juniors, as we said uh, before, um, was supposed to be played the first leg last Wednesday, but ended up being played this Wednesday, just gone, uh, due to the fact that Diego Maradona died uh, earlier that day. And it finished 1-0 to Boca. So Boca have a very good result to bring back to the Bombonera. Um, after one leg. Guarani Gremio, the first leg finished 2-0 to Gremio in Asuncion and the second leg finished 2-0 to Gremio in Porto Alegre. So Gremio are through there. Um, oh, that's all of them. So the knockout ties, I'll give you these first of all and then we'll talk a little bit about the actual, the, the Argentine involving matches. Um, the quarterfinals are going to be Gremio versus Santos Nacional versus River, as I've mentioned. Palmeiras versus Libertad. Um, Nacional or River will play Palmeiras or Libertad in one semi-final. And then the other tie could be an all-Argentine one. It's Racing 
versus either Internacional or Boca Juniors. Um, Andres, what did you make? I mean, you've, you've given us a, a decent idea already, of course, but just briefly, what did you make of, of Rivers' progress through? It, it was shaky, as you say, partly because they wasted so many chances. Yes, um, well, to, to start with, uh, Paranaense came to Argentina with a very, uh, well, uh, they, basically they had 15 players with coronavirus, uh, so the idea of Colmebol to increase the list uh, of, to 50 players finally wasn't so bad because uh, uh, that made them came to, to, to play the match, of course, with uh, more, I would say, I would say research should be a result, but I don't follow their, their squad in order to say uh, whether it was a real result or perhaps the 15 players that were uh, uh, ill with coronavirus were, uh, were substitutes. But the, the, the thing is that uh, uh, River couldn't break the Atletico Barranza defensing until the 16th, 17th minute of the match. I don't remember exactly the minute in which uh, De La Cruz score through a rebound from a penalty um, and uh, well Atletico Paranaense came to try to bother River and they did it by uh, 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 kicking direct balls or throwing direct, ball, direct balls to Walter, the, 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 the striker I mentioned the last uh, episode, a, a, a beefy player but with a great skill to keep the ball. I mean uh, it was hard for the defenders to to, to, to mark, him, mark him, if you don't uh, uh, anticipate him, it is very, very hard to take the ball from him. And the, the, the strategy, strategy for, from Atletico Parense was basically that, to try to throw direct balls to him and try to bother the defenders. And during uh, 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 well, uh, in an important match of the part of the match, they did it, they, they achieved that. And River was quite a an, 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 uh, uh, lack of accuracy. Uh, as I said, they had 23 uh, uh, shots, uh, which of them nine were on target. And, and well, uh, that is basically the, the story of the match. Uh, not so complicated. The thing is that River, of course, will have to be more effective in, in the future if they want to uh, at least solve the matches uh, the way they used to uh, some time ago. Yeah, Nacional were, as we say, impressive against Independiente del Valle. Um, so River are going to have to to improve to, to improve their their efficiency, um, their conversion rate because Nacional not giving stuff up against you know Independiente del Valle won last year's Sudamericana. They played some of the some very impressive football, um, and clearly they're decent in a shootout as well, given the way that that one went. Um, so, uh, sorry, uh, Nacional are decent in a shootout. I mean, um, so River are going to have to to step it up that little bit now. Perhaps, uh, perhaps the, the, the good, inter- of, I mean, not uh, exactly good, but better news for River is that Uruguay is closer than Ecuador as well. Uh, and there is uh, perhaps a, 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 a team, I wouldn't say, they aren't, they aren't easier than, than, than Independiente del Valle. They, uh, it's a, a Nacional, I think it's a hard, team which is very difficult to break also uh, uh, and uh, uh, I don't say it will be easy I, I think the only thing that will be perhaps uh, good 
the news is that that they are it's, it's a short distance it's uh, quite close to to argentina but uh, 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 yes basically they will have to improve yeah, yeah the other neutral standpoint i think um, river have got the the weak i think rival not in detriment of uh, of nacional but uh, just because uh, independiente del valle has been one of the best uh, teams in south america for for a long time i think uh, and um, yeah they have a, a really strong line of uh, ecuadorian talent just coming through um, even getting their chances in the national team and uh, in miguel angel ramirez they also have one of the most exciting young managers in south america at the moment so um, i mean even even if uh, nacional i think are doing the right thing in terms of uh, managing a squad full of uh, youngsters accompanied by some uh, older heads like uh, Jacob and Bergesio and um, I think it was Etoyanov uh, or I don't I can't remember if he played for somebody else but uh, well um, but anyway I think um, yeah in the main they were the, the hard arrival I think uh, in that in that match but uh, Nacional won't be any easy and, and in the event of Valle could have gone through uh, also. They had a very, very polemic goal disallowed by, I think it was the bar, uh, by, a, uh, in theory, a, an offside, but it was close to the end of the match. And that, of course, uh, made, made them not possible to, to go through. And, and, well, then on penalties, it was Nacional, the one who, who went through. Yeah, another thing to mention from River's point of view is that the only time in the last five attempts that River failed to make the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores was against Independiente del Valle when they went out on the, in the quarter-final. I think it wasn't, as you pointed out on the WhatsApp group a few days ago, Andres, uh, Independiente del Valle's goalkeeper was man of the match in both legs pretty much at that time. Um, so from that point of view, at least uh, River won't have to, to cope with that again. Um, the other Argentine sides, of course, are Racing and Boca. Um, Boca's 1-0 win away to Internacional, as I said in the first leg, was just pretty much the, the perfect um, away performance. Carlos Tevez scored the only goal of the game with about half an hour remaining. Uh, neither side, it has to be said, were particularly accurate in their shooting. Um, there were 24 shots, evenly shared, 12, 12 shots each, but there were only four on target between the two teams. Uh, Inter managed one, Boca had three of them. Um, it was a fairly sort of lively match and interesting to watch, but that was as much as anything because of the the knockout aspect of it and, and the fact that the, the stakes are so high once we get to this point in the competition. Um, does anybody else have any thoughts about it? Um, I think it was interesting... Um... At least from from what I saw of the game, that how dependent was uh, Boca to create uh, danger from the left hand side. It felt like every time uh, either Fabra or or Bisha were able to to push forward, Boca was close to score. But in the end, the game, the, the, the assist and the goal came from the right hand side, which is kind of you know uh, ironic, but. I never, I never, I never thought that. Um, again, I, I couldn't watch the game entirely, but um, it never gave me the sensation that Boca will don't win the game or lose the game at least. 
Inter seem like a, a team with good energy, maybe good intentions, but too far away from uh, each each line of the, of of the team. They was seem a little bit disjointed at times, um, like to to stretch over the, the the field. So I think Boca did enough, I suppose. And it was a goal on the on away goal, so I suppose that's, that's actually really good. But yeah, and I mean, it has to, as as you sort of hinted there. I think Eduardo Salvio just did not have his best game in a Boca shirt, essentially, and that that was why the attacks ended up um, largely looking like down the left hand side. But given Boca's home record, I know they've lost. Or was it two at home? Um, this uh, in the Copa de la Liga, but given that they're approaching the Libertadores and their generally strong home record, uh, I think that they're clear favourites now to go through. Um, the Racing tie, as we said, was a bit of a thriller um, over the course of both legs. A 1 1 draw in Abechaneda, which, if anything, Racing could have ruled themselves ever so slightly unfortunate to. Uh, to be held to that. And then they thought that they were going through for a very long time indeed. Leonardo Sigali scored a goal to put them 1-0 up in the Maracanã um, and therefore 2-1 up on aggregate with 25 minutes to go and Racing were holding that off and they were looking dangerous on the counter-attack and then up popped William Arau with a header from a corner um, which ended up equalising um, in the 93rd yeah, 93rd minute uh, to take it to a, a shootout in which the decisive, which kick the decisive kick turned out to be a save from a William Aral penalty. So he could have saved everybody a lot of time by simply not scoring that header uh, in stoppage time. <laughs> Anybody have any yeah, thoughts? It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very, very interesting, the, dy- the dynamic of, uh, of the game, because one could assume that after... Um, Racing scored the the one nil the the one nil goal through through the Sigali header, and almost immediately after Rodrigo Cayo, who I think is the the linchpin of uh, Flamengo's defense, was sent off uh, after after some VAR uh, analysis. One could assume that that was game over from for Flamengo, and Racing would just capitalize on the on the loss of uh, one of the most important players in Flamengo's in Flamengo squad and just uh, go ahead and just try to keep uh, going for goal. But uh, the opposite happened. And uh, after that, Flamengo really took the game by the scruff of the neck and uh, they just kept searching and searching and searching for, for that uh, equalizer while Racing were just uh, happy um, just having a low block and trying to just hold on and, until... The final whistle happened, and well, as we know, that they weren't exactly successful in that. After uh, William Arau's goal, which was really scrappy, let's say, let's say, let's let's be let's be honest, it was quite scrappy. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a great twist of fate that it was also William Arau who uh, missed the the decisive penalty uh, and. Another twist of fate was that uh, Facundo Dominguez, who's, who's, a, who's a youngster, who's just uh, making his, I don't know if it was his debut or just second or third game for, for Racing as a professional. Um, and he also just gave uh, Racing the, the win to qualify for, for the quarterfinals by knocking the, the reigning champions out, which was... Uh, a 
I think it's Fabricio Dominguez, in fact. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking up whether he played. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. Prior I, I, I to might this, fuck that up. Yeah, Fabricio it's, Dominguez. It was his fourth match this season, but I think it might very well have been his first start. It's a shame that it, Dan's not here to uh, give us the full lowdown. Um, but yeah, I mean, it has to be said that when Racing did, when, when Racing went one and up, it was very much against the run of play. Flamengo had been throwing the kitchen sink forward, but just didn't seem to be attacking with any real composure at all. So they were racking up loads of dominance, loads of, of possession, lots of chances, but nothing actually, well, lots, lots of shots, but very few actual chances, if you see what I mean. Andres? Yes, it's somehow a, cor- a course for, for the reigning champions, right? I, I think that Boca was the last one to win it, uh, win Copa Libertadores two in a row, uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, and, and when River reached last year's final, they were the first winners to get back into the final the following year and yes. I think we looked it up at the time and it was like 12 years or something because um, Sao Paulo managed it around 2005-2006 didn't they um, so yeah it, it's it's never easy that, that, that's why this long run of nobody having won the Libertadores twice in a row um, is, is currently happening uh, but given Racing's form in, in domestic football there's, there's clearly some kind of sway that uh, that Subeldia holds over them to, to get the most out of them in these big matches. It's going to be fascinating to see how they do in the quarterfinal and against whom it is, of course, because if they're playing essentially a domestic rival um, in the quarterfinal, then is the fact that it's a much bigger game going to help them to, to focus a bit more? We'll have to see. Anyway, moving on to the Sudamericana. Uh, I'll take you through the, the results from that one as well. The ties there I think it's the last 32 that we were in here so we've got a fair number um, of oh no also the last 16 uh, I'm getting behind myself so to speak um, Bahia won the first leg against Union 1-0 in Brazil and then oh go away and then uh, drew 0-0 in Santa Fe Tony will fill us in on that I'm sure in a few minutes time Vélez Sarsfield got a 2-0 home win over Deportivo Cali and then a 5-1 away win over Deportivo Cali. So we're very much through to the next round. Bolívar beat Lanús 2-1 in La Paz in the first leg. Went 1-0 up very early on away to Lanús in the second leg, but ended up losing that second leg 6-2 for a 7-4 aggregate defeat. Um, So Lanús are through. Coquimbo Unido nil sport wankayo nil followed by sport wankayo nil coquimbo unido two in the second leg so um coquimbo unido go through there phoenix one independiente four and then independiente one phoenix nil something will let us know what happened there uh river plate of uruguay one universidad católica of chile two we always have to check now because there are several universidad católicas not becoming crap at football anymore. Um, that was the first leg. And then in the second leg, River Plate won 1-0. So Universidad Católica threw on away goals there. Atletico Junior 2, Union La Calera 1. Um, the second leg of that finished Union La Calera 2, Atletico Junior 1. Uh, therefore, it went to a shootout, which was won by Atletico Junior. And the last tie of the round was Defensa y Justicia, who drew 1-1 at home to Vasco da Gama and then beat Vasco da Gama 1-0 in Rio de Janeiro um, to go through 2-1 on aggregate. Santi, do you want to tell us about your thoughts on Independiente in as much as they don't 
repeats what you've already told us in the first half of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was about to tell you that I, I did reference, I think, the, the, the win. Um, but to be quite honest, I, I insist uh, Phoenix were just uh, a really, really weak uh, rival, I think, for for Independiente. If anything, it uh, really helped into just uh, shaping up Independiente's starting lineup and giving them a lot of confidence into in their their playing style and uh, their understanding between between the teammates. Uh, I think that 4-1 uh, first leg uh, victory might be like a turning point in Independiente season because, uh, well, we know how uh, much Independiente value international competitions like this, especially given the fact that Independiente have failed to qualify for the Copa Libertadores through the league once again. So they will be looking to go as far as they can in this in this competition. So, um, yeah, this is a, this is an important next step for, for Independiente, for, for the youngsters as well, who are really uh, stepping up uh, to, to, well, grab the chances with both hands, as I said before. So, all, all in all, I think it's a, it's a decent win for Independiente, who will have a very... Very, very challenging uh, opponent in Lanús. Sorry, Santi. Yeah, I was just trying to look up what the next round score, uh, scores are because my phone app that I use while we're recording is insisting that those uh, quarterfinal fixtures are not yet set in stone, when in fact I know that they definitely are. Um, and the app has now decided to freeze when I tried to make it work properly. So, reloading. Um, Lanús versus uh, Bolívar. It was a very impressive second leg performance from Lanús to turn it around. Um, of course, anytime you manage to score an away goal and keep the deficit down in La Paz, it's always a bonus in the first leg anyway. Um, so, no real surprise. I don't think that Lanús ended up going through there after a bit of a, an early scare, falling 1-0 down at home in the second leg. Um, but certainly, you know, a, a win of that magnitude is is very impressive indeed and against Independiente it'll be interesting to see um I think that's going to be a, a nicely balanced tie I think I'd make Lanús favorites for it I don't know what you think Santi yeah I mean even if they are fine the feet at the moment I wouldn't uh I wouldn't just uh be quite uh relaxed about Independiente's matchup against Lanús, especially the fact that they scored six against an admittedly really poor uh, Bolívar side, but they did so without Pedro de la Vega and Pepe Sand, who has a, well, who has a habit of scoring against Independiente, even if in his worst uh, spell ever at Racing, as Dan would certainly have liked to remind me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think Lanús are also one of the most informed teams in Argentina right now. So, um, if Independiente managed to get through, it would be uh, an incredible achievement for this squad, who, who are still just uh, a work in progress, it's fair to say. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not such good news for Union, Tony. Yeah, that was, oh, hard to put it, uh, frustrating. Should have oh, should have got a better result from the first leg. I thought. I mean, I, I didn't catch the second leg. I have to admit, but the first leg, Union 
were largely the better team. I'm not really sure how they lost it. Uh, uh, I will say that it's very, history repeats itself on, on the second leg because we had a lot of chances. Maybe not as many as clear on the, as the first um, first leg. But <laughs> I, I had to laugh because the two biggest chances fell onto the the feet of Claudio Corvalan, probably the worst finisher in the province entirely, taking all the teams in the provinces. And he squandered both. And yeah, I mean, Bahia just defended, uh, which, I mean, I don't want it to sound like it's a bad thing. It's a plan. <laughs> I respect that plan if you think you need to just soak the pressure and push forward when you can. Uh, and in that way, they got the penalty on the first half, in the first leg and created a couple of chances. One of them was actually really, really good. And the Bahia player uh, missed a sitter like two meters away from the goal at uh, almost in an empty net. So it could have been another one nil for Bahia. And he also a lot of chances. And I still think that Asconsalo don't know how to. If 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 the team doesn't start like the game winning or at least playing well it, it feels like he doesn't have a plan B or a way to move around the pieces to solve the problems because even with one player less because Mauro Nadiale was um, received a red card from a violent conduct um, Union played a lot a lot better than, than Bahia in the entire of the second half with a player less uh, had a lot of chances to to try and win the game, but it fell in the end that they were just pushing forward and putting people up for the sake of it without an, an actual idea of how to break Bahia. Um, so I will say that from one part, it was unfair, but on the other side, uh, uh, it's it's hard to argue when you don't have plan B to, to be the team that's just defending. Yeah, there was also a, a goal disallowed, if I remember rightly, for yep. Corbalan scored it, in fact, didn't he? Um, yeah. For, for offside, but it, was, it wasn't it was sort of um, a particularly close decision that you could feel particularly aggrieved no, by. I guess no, that's no, the, no. One, the one small consolation was that it was very clearly and definitely offside, so you weren't cheated. Um, but yeah, hard luck, Tony. Um, happier news for well very happy news indeed for Belles who as I say got an absolute thrashing um, victory uh, 2-0 in the first leg 5-1 in the second where it, it wasn't even particularly from I mean looking at it as if Deportivo Cali just completely fell to pieces because um, the goals are fairly evenly spaced it was just that Belles were very very good on the counter attack in that second leg they had six shots on target and scored five of them um, so it perhaps is a little bit harsh on Deportivo Cali, the scoreline, but undoubtedly Vélez, the better side there. Um, and Defensa y Justicia into the quarterfinal of a major competition. And deservedly so. They, they really were completely on top of the first half, admittedly not really kind of in a dominant fashion, but just in terms of not allowing Vasco to do very much at all. Um, and then in the second, Vasco did push forward a lot more. Um, they, they came a lot closer to scoring, but Defensa scored when it mattered. Gabriel Atchin scored the only goal of the game uh, with just over half an hour to go. Um, and Defensa, therefore, oh. after that, just saw it out. 
Yeah, for for any English uh, English listeners or British listeners, um, the goal defensive score actually remind me, reminded me a lot of uh, Divo Origi's winner against uh, Everton in one in uh, in a Merseyside derby, in which uh, I think there was this very high ball that Jonathan Pickford should have should have uh, caught easily, but uh, it went off the crossbar and he uh, ended up inside the goal. So. It was very easy for Achen to score, just like Origi did, I think, in that in that game. So uh, it was uh, it was a very yeah perplexing mistake, I think, from uh, from Basco's keeper. Yeah, thanks, Nanti. Uh, another peculiarity of goals scored in the matches we've just been talking about was um, Andres mentioned um, Nicolas de la Cruz scoring from a rebound from a penalty, uh, the only goal of the second leg for River. That was. Obviously, if he comes back off the woodwork and then the player finishes it, then it doesn't count because you can't touch somebody else has to touch the ball first. But in this case, um, what what caused it was that the ball hit the post, bounced onto the goalkeeper's back, bounced back onto the post, and came back towards De La Cruz to finish. Um, so that was another interesting one. The quarterfinals. If I, if on, Andres. Some, yeah, it was very very similar. I would say exactly the same way uh, that. Nacho Fernandez scored against also Atlético Paranaense in the second leg of the Recopa Sudamericana played last year. Mm. Uh, because, yes, the goalkeeper touched it. I think it was the other way around. The goalkeeper Cooper touched the ball. The ball bounced into the post and then Nacho Fernandez scored. In this case, I think it was the other way. The, the, yeah, the, they looked the, at it afterwards and determined that the goalkeeper yes. hadn't managed to get a touch on it before it hit the post, but it then... Yes. Hit, hit him full in the back and nearly went in the net but bounced off the post instead and right into De La Cruz's path um, the quarterfinals of the Sudamericana are going to be played next week and the week after uh, Vélez Sarsfield play Universidad Católica home and then away Bahia uh, Defensa y Justicia are away to Bahia and then at home to Bahia in that order Junior versus Coquimbo is the only one of the ties to not feature any Argentine sides and Lanús versus Independiente will be followed a week later by Independiente versus Lanús. We shall now move on seamlessly to listeners' questions, just as soon as I can get the browser to load them properly. Here we go. We did have a listeners' question a few days ago, um, which I now can't... Oh, no, hang on, I'm misremembering. Sorry, that was a separate one. But Leo Russomano... Uh, tweeted this one. He included us in it. Um, I'm not sure whether he actually intended it as a question for the podcast, but I know he's a listener, so we can answer it here. He says, question if you know, football femenino just started. So this is one for you, I guess, Tony. I'm wondering whether there is any way to watch it in Canada. I can't see it on uh, the um, websites of our former sponsors who we're not mentioning anymore. Tony, do you know where um, there is? I mean, some of the matches are going to be on YouTube, aren't they? Via, um... Yeah, but it could be here, geoblocked. Oh, really? You think? I'd be surprised. That can happen. I'm not sure. But I have friends in Canada, so I suppose that I will send them a link and double check. <laughs> but remind me of the name of the channel, because I was going to say Vamos Los, Los Pibas, but it's not that, is it? No, because there is no no one on the stadiums to cover. It's just only the TNT Sports LA. Uh, oh, YouTube the, YouTube, the YouTube channel aren't broadcasting at the moment. Yep. Oh, that's a shame. Okay, well, in that case, Leo, it looks like no at the moment, but keep an eye out once people start being allowed back in. You can try and, and if you say that it's not available, try a BPM. 
Mm. That's a only, yeah. Um, Bud Bundy says, what happens if a Libertadores qualified team like Boca or Racing wins the fase complementación uh, of the current Copa de la Liga? Is it safe to assume that the AFA has not thought this through? Um, I think that then the next, uh, the, the, the top team who haven't already qualified for the Libertadores uh, from that final group stage will be the team who take the um, Libertadores spot if that happens. Uh, the, the AFA generally do think this kind of thing through in spite of the ribbing that we give them when they clearly don't think stuff like that through. But, but stuff like continental competition is always um, fairly well uh, done, if not always particularly easy to follow. Uh, John Wilson says, will Mystic Sam return this week? My Acker could do with a boost. Uh, yes, he will, John. Yes, don't worry. Uh, Lawrence Hart says, ignore this question if it does not sit well with the pod. Oh, I better... Uh... Oh, God, right. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, ignore this question if it does not sit well with the pod, but we, we will answer it. Can you explain, in a rational manner, the issues with the Los Pumas captain, that's the Argentine National Rugby Union team, and the passing of Diego Maradona. Is it a case of a political rugby versus football argument? I'm going to cede the floor to um, an Argentine. Now, I can see that Santi and Antonio have both unmuted their mics. I'm going to let... <laughs> I, I'm going to say, let, let's let Santi start, but I know that both of you and indeed Andres have, have got things to say about it. So we'll go Santi, then Tony, then Andres in that order, please. Sure. Right, uh, right so... First off, I know this is a, a touchy topic, I think. Um, so I'll try to be just as, uh, as neutral as I can in this, in this uh, conversation, I think. So the thing is, so this is the thing. Uh, rugby, I think in a way similar to, 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 to in England, rugby in Argentina is um, just characterized, I think, not just by the fact that it's... Um, a sport that is most popular, I think, with a, with a specific section, I think, of society, uh, high, higher earners. I'll, I'll just, before you carry on, Santi, I'll just butt in and, and uh, say, because I'm sure there'll be people listening to this and already swearing at us internally for not mentioning it. it in England, it very much depends on which bit of the country you're in. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, you're talking about a stereotype that is very well known to a lot of people, especially in the south of England. So carry on. Right. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry if I sorry if I speak without a without knowing exactly how, how it is. But um, here in Argentina, it is. I mean, there are examples of uh, people lowering on people um, who are actually uh, who play rugby, but the establishment, let's call it, of rugby is concentrated in people of high income, uh, specifically in the outskirts of Buenos Aires. And they are run on a, on a series of uh, supposed values, let's call them, um, uh, of respect and solidarity and um, sportsmanship, you know, so some let's, uh, old-fashioned uh, values about sport, which could as well apply to football in its earliest stages in the late 1800s, let's say, which is also, um, well, a coincidence uh, in the fact that rugby is still amateur in Argentina. So um, the thing is that there has always been this, uh, this let's call rivalry or just uh, questions of um, well, differences with football because uh, of some violence uh, and well, some very bad associations that football has also uh, been 
um, well, caring with. And uh, in that sense, rugby fans have always just uh, felt in this uh, higher higher more moral ground to say that uh, they are a more uh, sportsmanship-ish. I'm not exactly, I don't know exactly what, but it's a more noble sport than football in that sense. So when we uh, when we knew of uh, Maradona's death uh, back uh, last Wednesday, and then we were surprised by uh, the old black the old blacks' uh, tribute to Maradona, which was admittedly an incredible tribute to just um, incorporate a Maradona shirt, uh, an old black shirt with a Maradona lettering to an ancient uh, ritual like the, the Hakka. Uh, it was something to behold, to be honest. And uh, I think the, the, the Pumas, the, the, the Argentine national team, were exposed in the fact that the only way they uh, honored Maradona was through uh, a black armband, which was basically they they just taped, they just had black tape around their their arms and they just peeled off very easily. But in that sense, there was a, a sense that the the decision was arbitrary and it was uh, intended to be like that because there was uh, a suspicion that perhaps uh, the the authorities of the of the Argentine rugby union didn't think Maradona was worthy of being recognized or being honored. Uh, so as a consequence, uh, some angry Maradona fans began to uh, scour uh, the, the Twitter account of some of uh, the, the Argentine rugby national team's stars, including Captain Pablo Matera, and they found some very nasty stuff, very, very racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, classist stuff they said about nine, eight, seven years ago. So as a consequence, the, the initially the UAR, the UAR were very quick to uh, strip Matera, Paulo Matera, the captain of his captaincy and suspend two other players for, for this tweets in the past. But then a few days later, they reinstated them in the, in the squad and uh, apparently nothing has happened. There have been a lot of, there has been a lot of backlash uh, the players, the players have um, have spoken. A lot of their their teammates have also spoken on the clubs, and they all try to defend, you know, the the general feeling that rugby is this sport that can transform uh, someone who has had this kind of uh, ways of thinking into better people. But uh, I think overall, it's a very it's a very murky uh, situation. You know, there's a lot of questions about uh, whether these people have grown, whether uh, the, the things they said uh, this, uh, this long ago is still uh, something to be worried about and what, what's with uh, society and rugby, rugby culture in general, which was already called into question. Because earlier this year, a group of rugby players killed uh, a, a man far away and sent to death in a... Uh, outside the nightclub, so well, there has been a lot of conversations around this matter. So it's a difficult, uh, it's a difficult topic to be honest. Yeah, Tony or Andres, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think uh, Santi uh, covered really well. Um, we had to add, I think, that's as a condiment to the uh, dish that. Um, at this point, also, we had to 
put into perspective that it's become common to do this with people that is on the spotlight. <laughs> That's why I, I tweeted that if you're going to you're going to be you're going to sign your first contract as a sport um, as an athlete, uh, please hire someone to check your social media before signing it and be on the clear. Um, because I saw, I saw this with, with, with football players uh, using different words and they were cancelled and I mean using quotations on those on this one. Um, so it's kind of a mix of things. It, it became kind of a, a, domino, a domino effect from the lack of uh, um, respectful or significant send-off or homage to, to Maradona, but Ah, you know, um, it's it's it has a lot of layers um, that I th- it will need another podcast, I think, uh, for another matter to make it absolutely clear beyond what uh, Santi explained in a really uh, suffice manner. Um, but I, I think that the only thing it's actually actually really damaged is is the public view of, of rugby, I think it would be really difficult to um, heal. Uh, I think that the, 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 they, they made a lot of choices between take them off, reinstate them, not making a public uh, acknowledgement, uh, a, a different um, chain of events uh, has tainted uh in and out a pitch, what what rugby means and what rugby is seen in Argentina. Yeah, and it's all happened immediately after they've got their first ever win against the All Blacks as well. So it's, it's a great <laughs> yeah, way they of were just setting fire to stunned. a lot of public goodwill. Um, yeah, Lawrence, it's also, sorry, it's also just to forget, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, let's also not forget that uh, the the image of rugby in Argentina was also was already in tatters after. You know the murder of this uh, this kid outside uh, outside a nightclub, and uh, the response from most rugby authorities about the question on whether there was a problem with uh, masculinity and toxicity in rugby culture, and uh, yeah, not a lot has happened ever since. So yeah, I mean it's not been the greatest year for Argentine rugby, even despite uh, the the win against the All Blacks. Yeah, it's also worth pointing out that, you know, this is a a, a problem in wider society as well, just as we were talking earlier about the the young lady who was sexually assaulted at this party where Belles players were present but not partaking. Um, And, you know, we we touched on it very, very briefly while talking about Diego Maradona last week. Um, But the the, the, the problem is is the wider society that, that produces people. And unfortunately, that happens in every country in the world but there are certainly some bits of that society that are worse at it worse at uh, educating people than than others and, and better at giving them excuses um than others uh, lawrence also asks how good was racing's win in brazil and does it elevate them to significant contenders for this year's copa libertadores um i mean we've already discussed the, the win itself but i i think it's going to be interesting to see as I said, whether they can improve a little bit with potentially familiar opponents in the quarterfinal. Um, they're certainly performing much better in the Libertadores than they are in the league, but I still think that there's that little bit of um, 
they've not quite clicked there. Uh, it'll be interesting though to, to see when they're not playing the holders. You know, Flamengo were one of the better teams left in the competition, so it could be that anybody else could prove to be a step down. Um, and if once you're in the semi-final, anything can happen. You know, at, at the same time, River, for instance, are, are always one of the favourites for it, and they've not really clicked yet either. Um, so watch this space. Lawrence also says, can the same be said for Defensa y Justicia in the Sudamericana uh, with their win in Brazil? Maybe. What do we think about Defensa y Justicia in the Sudamericana, gents? It's a little bit more far-fetched, but it's not impossible. In the Sudamericana, if Colón made it. Yeah, I mean, based on what Bahia showed against Union, I don't think that Defensa need to be particularly afraid of them. Um, and if they're into the semis, then again, anything can happen. Uh, I've, I've not seen, with the possible exception of Lanús, um, I've, I, I, I've not seen any performances so far in the Sudamericana, albeit I've not been paying as much attention, uh, that have made me think yeah, that defence think... would be particularly nervous. Yeah, and uh, well, let's just... Uh, I, I'm still amazed at the fact that we have, at this point, taken for granted the fact that Defensa y Justicia are doing so well in an international competition while we have basically just uh, swept away the fact that Defensa have, uh, until 2014, they have never played in the first division ever. And now they, are, they look uh, very certain to be in a, in a Copa Sudamericana semi-final, which is amazing. Just... Uh, a, I mean, I know we, we have uh, spoken in the past, uh, especially in extras, about the myth of, uh, of the, the model club and all the bullshit that comes across. Uh, but to be honest, we can't just ignore the, the growth, the, the exponential growth that a club as small as Defensive Justicia has over, has over seen in less than 10 years. Yeah, it's it's a tribute to how well run they are, even when they're not perhaps the uh, little model club that are nice and cuddly and that everybody would love them to be. Um, now, as promised to John, it's time for Mystic Sam. Okay, this week's matches are actually already underway at the time of recording. Uh, Colón are 1-0 up and closing in on half-time away to Central Córdoba, so I'm going to go for a Colón win in that match. If it's any consolation, I'd have probably predicted that anyway. Um, Banfield versus Rosario Central will already have been played by the time this goes online, but let's predict it anyway. I think it'll be a Banfield win. On Saturday, Arsenal at home to Racing. I think is going to be a... I'll go for Racing to get a second straight win in the Copa there. And then Union versus Atletico Tucumán. I think Union will take out some of their frustration from the Sudamericana and get a win there. Both of those matches are played simultaneously, of course, because this is the last round of group games. Uh, A little bit later in the evening, Patronato versus Vélez, I think will be a Vélez win. And Gimnasia versus Huracán, I think will be a... I'll go for a draw in that one. Um, then, last thing at night, and for some reason, not played 
at the same time as the other. Oh, it's Banfield Central. I wonder why that. Because are the, the only one that will play at the same time, so are the only one that could. Oh, I see. Yeah, they're, they're, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So because River and Banfield are already through from that group, they don't need to play at the same time, even though they, we don't know what position they'll finish in. Uh, so River host Godoy Cruz, and I well host in Independiente Stadium. I think River will win that one. Um, on Sunday, Independiente are at home to Defensa y Justicia. I expect that to oh, actually that could be a, a pretty good game the way that they've both been playing over the last week. Um, I'll go for Independiente to edge it. Let's say three-two. Uh, Tacheres versus Boca, I think will be a Boca win. Newells versus Lanús, I think is going to be a bit of a come down for Lanús, who are going to have one eye on the Sudamericana anyway. I think Newells will win that one. And then on Monday evening, Argentinos Juniors versus Estudiantes de la Plata, I think will be an Argentinos win. And San Lorenzo, I think are going to get a home win over Aldo Civi. Um, anything to add, gents? About the, the results? About yeah, uh, yes. whether you particularly agree or disagree with any of my calls. I disagree with Tacheres. Tacheres, I think, will, will win at home. Okay. Um, um, uh, besides, Boca has Venice to will... play the second leg. So, so. Oh, true. Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Andres, you were saying? will have a, a less player, or at least, well, Centurion. And, and I don't know if Brizuela was uh, playing a lot of minutes, but we'll have this... Three, three players off, and with all this case uh, around, I, I think, I mean, surrounding the the, the squad, I, I, I will, I will predict a, a draw. They are about well. We'll see what happens. Anyway, watch this space. For now, thank you very much indeed, as ever, for listening, and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From Tony. Bye. From Santi. Bye, guys. And from me, thank you and goodbye.